0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into the big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. Now today I'm chatting with a very special man, Matt Linnett, who is a thinker, a questioner, a listener and a doer who strives to make the world more compassionate by being a beautiful example through his work and daily actions. This entire conversation is quite deep, as Matt and I discuss some interesting topics that often left me with more questions than answers. But Matt talks about creating change in his life that was guided by not what he was meant to be doing, but how he was meant to be living. We discuss the power of self-inquiry to release a lot of our ego and fear, letting go of our need for control, asking questions that encourage change, And living life with compassion as the driver. Matt does have a voice disorder, so at times it might be challenging to hear him, but stick with it as there is so much wisdom and truth in what Matt has to say. We do discuss this voice disorder and how one day Matt just woke up and he couldn't talk like he used to anymore. Matt also runs a wonderful charity called Collective Hearts that brings ordinary people together to do extraordinary things within local communities and communities in need abroad. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Matt Linnett. Matt, welcome to the podcast Thank you, nice to be here And um, and, and when we say here we are face to face, we're mm. eyeballing So for those that have been listening over the last couple of weeks I've got some new equipment So it's great when I get the, the opportunity to kind of sit face to face And have mm. these chats But you, you sent me a, a list the other day via email That mm. outlines some key moments and changes in your life and. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the top one because I love this T word of travel, mm-hmm. and and we'll we'll kind of see where the conversation goes from there. But how did travelling in your mid twenties help shape your life?
1: Yeah, good question. <clears throat> uh, I'd say it did a lot to um to unshape the life that I thought was life before I started travelling. So I think uh for a lot of people there's this uh, concept of the way things are meant to be the the field of work that maybe they're meant to go into but i I always felt very nomadic um in my late teens uh early twenties <clears throat> but I did pursue study, so uh, I felt that was appropriate, and I did secure a a, a good job this was in the education system. But it just felt like I, I was never quite settled. And so what the travel did, it gave me a chance to retreat or escape from, I guess, almost what felt like the cage, if you want, like what felt like the preset requirements. Um, and of course what travel does is it, it lets you see lots of different ways that different people live.
0: And you you, you used a great word there, unshape. Mm. And it's so true, because in a way, we seem to be heading often down a path, whether that is the work that we're doing, that mm. is already shaping how we are going to mm. end up, or the society that we're going to live in. Mm. Speak to me about how, or, or, or what you saw through traveling that helped kind of remold the mm-hmm. path that you were going on.
1: Mm. For me, if a person if a person's on a path that feels right and it sits cleanly, then then a lot of shifting is not necessarily required. But if at some level there feels like there's a misalignment, then sooner or later there'll be a shift. Um, for me, it's inevitable. A person can deny it and ignore it all they want. Um, but sooner or later, there needs to be a shift so so what the what the travel did is it just gave an outlet to explore different methodologies, if you want um, to to live. <clears throat> now at that point in time, I don't believe I was conscious uh, of this curiosity. All I knew was it was time to get away from where I was it wasn't like there was this inquiry into is there a different way it was more of a uh, a retreat
0: and run and retreat and run it's it's a interesting phrase you use there and and you also were talking about needing the the, the shift will come you mm-hmm. know you can you mm-hmm. can sweep it under the carpet as much as you want mm-hmm. but if there is this uh, this pull in your life there's mm-hmm. going to be a shift mm-hmm. And I guess what we're all trying to do is is seeing that shift early on so we can Mm -hmm. maybe create change before change is forced on us. Because sometimes when Mm. it's forced on us, there's lots of friction that kind of comes with that. Mm. What are some of the big changes that, you know, after coming back from traveling, that you then created in your own life? Mm. Yeah.
1: Well, for me, the trick is is to participate in what your system is trying to tell you, okay? <coughs> so, the idea of, of creating change is an important one, but it feels to me like it's more of a participation sort of sport, if you want. Um, <coughs> so, the other part is if we delay, if we know that we need to shift something... And we need to participate in that shift and we delay it and we delay it it means there's more work for us to do to recover from from that period of um, misalignment from that period of difficulty so what did i participate how did i participate well essentially i i um i walked away from the industry i was working in um with our clarity of where to go so the trick for me was creating space just creating space in my life and and I think a lot of people do do this. <clears throat> they do this through um, taking an extended holiday, or they do it by um, taking a short holiday, but somewhere where they get a check out of technology, or they do it um, uh, through resigning from a job, or, 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 or opening up that space, which starts to pull away every, um, uh, the framework. Someone's previously been working with, um, I, um, and and for me that was the strategy. The strategy was just pull out everything which I'm holding my uh, leaning my identity to, and just see what happens off the back of that. Most people thought I was insane. Walk away from perfectly good job which I'd, I'd studied hard to. Um, to, uh, To um, you know, um, get my qualifications in.
0: And you used the word "their <coughs> identity. Mm. And when, and it's really interesting that you use that word and, and how we can sometimes, what we do seems to be who we are. Mm. And I, I know for me when I left Sydney and we were kind of talking a little bit about this offline mm. and this is back in 2011 and I moved to Newcastle mm. and having to leave the music industry that I was a part of and and the business card that I had was a really big part of who I was, do you know what I mean? Because I, I I had a really, I guess, outward facing, cool, fun job. And, and creating that shift, you know, it, it took a while if I'm honest. Once I'd left there, it probably took about 12 months to realize it's all baloney, it doesn't really matter, like I'm still who I am. But taking that shift and you are leaving your work, and and I think lots of the time when people are stuck in a rut, it usually is that they're, they're doing something five days a week that they don't really get any enjoyment out of and it doesn't feed their soul in any way. However, to leave a career that you've been, maybe studied hard for, that you've spent many years, that sometimes you're like, is this all I know? It is really hard to then make that change
1: how
0: How did you do that like how did you walk with the fear of change to be able to create that change
1: um well, it does come down to fear
0: okay <clears throat> there's a fear of making
1: the change there's the fear of letting go but there's well for me personally, there was a bigger fear and and the bigger fear was not fulfilling what my heart really desired. And that was the bigger fear. <clears throat> and I think if a person can find genuine compassion with themselves, they
0: must follow their heart. And how, how, did, you, how did you find that compassion with yourself? How did, you, how did you learn to follow your heart? Because I think that is, that's often the thing that people struggle with. Mm. like what am I passionate about Mm. what is it that I want to do Mm. if money wasn't an issue what is that Mm. job or calling Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it vocation Mm -hmm. that Mm. that I want to be spending my life doing Mm -hmm. well for
1: me the answer was not in what is it that I'm meant to be doing the answer was how am I meant to be living not in terms of the content of my life but in the way I was feeling and I knew that the way I was feeling just wasn't the way I was meant to be, and for me, life can be incredibly short. Mm. Um, and by background, uh, you know, I'm, I've I've studied mathematics, so when you study mathematics and you start to look at the ratios of number of hours we're in work and the number of hours we're in play and, and we really start to look at it logically. And we also look at the logic that the idea is, is maybe career or material success delivers a certain emotional state. And when you do your research on that you discover that there's, there's so many other factors or contributors in, and, in, and in many cases excesses in any field is detrimental to emotional state. And when you get into a state of, you know, deep enough sadness or depression or anxiety or whatever the emotional state is, and 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 you know it's not right, you know it's not the way you want to live, then the fear is a driver. But the fear is a driver that this isn't the way I want to live, and that becomes a, a bigger motivator than the fear of letting go of something you've studied for, which is not is simply not delivering.
0: And you know, we talked there about whether it's. Anxiety or depression or sadness hmm. and and a lot of these um, and i I will start by saying i don 't fully understand how those things happen um, but how do we how do we get to a point like you know you were talking there about you, your motivations are higher, like when you have deep sadness or you hit rock bottom, Mm-mm. your motivation to change is higher, but like how do we? How do we create that change, and, I, and I, I keep using that phrase "creating change" before we hit mm. rock bottom." Do you mm. know what I mean because I think, I think there's this the, whether it's the quiet majority or whatever phrase you want to use of people that they're kind of okay Mm-mm. it's, it's, Mm-mm. it's you're mediocre you know the, there's ups and downs, but you know we can kind of chug along and And then we get to the end and we go, oh, it was kind of all right. Mm. But how do we like really, you know,
1: increase
0: that Mm -mm. before we have to hit rock bottom? I think it's a cultural issue,
1: Mm, quite frankly. I I think culturally there's a a greater greater focus on longevity in a particular field of employment than there is on mental well-being. It's shifting. So how do we change it? um... we need leaders similar to what you're doing we need people that stand up and say maybe there's a different way to look at life in the way that we um... position our priorities um... i think it's i, I agree i think there is a significant number of people that their relationship with life is that it's okay it's not deeply depressing it's not deeply enriching is just sort of skidding, skidding through the middle. Um, if the if at a cultural perspective, for example, we could really encourage uh, the intention of contribution, then I think that would make a big shift as opposed to us relating to a job through what we get from it into what potentially we can contribute through it. Um, you know, that's been the biggest, probably one of the biggest learnings I've had is that it's one thing to have a job, it's the one thing to be able to feed your family, it's one thing to be able to feed your family in a, in a field of work that you quite enjoy. It's another thing to feel like it's a very, very enriching part of your life. And it has, it just has to have a more and we need a more global relationship with what it is that we do and what that does then starts to shift how we feel mm.
0: yeah. and you, you speak there about doing something that enriches us mm-hmm. whilst also putting food on the table yes. which, which is this happy place that, mm-hmm. uh, that most people would want to be doing mm-hmm. but that's the struggle Mm. I, I really feel that's the struggle for people of finding whether it is if we want to call it their purpose or mm-hmm. finding something that really does enrich them and for me i you know obviously everyone listening to this podcast understands my beliefs and feelings about material possessions mm-hmm. that not that I don't have them like you're in my my home right now and mm-hmm. there are things around mm-hmm. um, but we 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 seem to put a lot of emphasis on collecting more where where i believe that we can have more life with with less stuff mm. but what what do you what do you say to somebody mm. that comes and sees you and and or well, maybe i need to ask a question first about when how do you answer the question mm. when someone asks what do you do <laughs>
1: <laughs> i i encourage them to ask somebody who actually has done some work with me <laughs> because it's a that's a different that's a difficult question to answer um, look my 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 great passion is helping a person sense a liberated state and feel peaceful for me, I think that's the common value of all of humanity. if you ask anyone would they prefer to be stressed or at peace? they want to be at peace and there's so many different Ways that a person can work towards that, and what suits one person might necessarily suit another, um, depending on their personality and their constitution and, and 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 their circumstances. I also don't. I also think that a lack of peace can happen if a person departs from the world. You know, goes and tries to find peace by not engaging with the world so i do I do think the the opportunity of of nourishing relationships and learning from relationships and uh, and and contributing and being productive and all of this when it's in alignment with the deeper set of values it does bring peace it doesn't mean that it's easy, but there's a peacefulness that you know i've lived well
0: mm. and you use the word that easy which mm. I believe is something that a lot of people and when I say a lot of people I often am including myself in in this I used to think that easy was was the answer mm-hmm. and I've really now learned that it's not yeah. um, for me learning to be comfortable in not knowing which mm-hmm. is really easy to come out of my mouth it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's completely mm-hmm. different to 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 practice that but that's that's been kind of a long journey as well but when people do come in, a, and and see you and they reach out to you what are some of the common similarities that people are seeking help for or what are the what are the components of life that that they're battling with and maybe this will help answer the question what do you do
1: yeah. <laughs> um. Look, people come to me for one in regards of questions of one of three fields, and one of those fields is their disillusion with their business or their stress. Let's just go with stress. They're stressed in terms of some aspect of business or career. They're stressed in terms of some aspect of life. Um, or they're stressed in some sort of sense of their spirit, if you want to call it that, and. Where there's stress there's internal disturbance. And so everybody who comes and catches up at some level they're not completely you say at ease. Now oh look uh, let's put it this way, you know, then they're, they're not at ease within. doesn't mean that life's easy. Mm. Yeah. But there's there's certainly things that they would like to attend to or shift or change and it's difficult. For them to see the different perspectives on that on that aspect, because they're so attached or connected or or tied to to that particular to that particular thing, um, and I share a lot of my personal sort of experiences with them. You know, I'm not a scholar <laughs> in, in these fields. Uh, yeah. In fact, I think what's important is to recognise, and you alluded to it. It's one thing to have the words; it's one thing to have read the books, but to what extent have we embodied the the wisdom that's around us? Mm. You know, so we can really live it.
0: Mm. And and embodying those experiences, mm. what are, what are some of the key ones that that you embodied that helped you grow mm. and mm. And shift the way that you look at life?
1: Mm. Uh, that's a big question. Because I think the further you go, the more you realize there is to be embodied. And, and in terms of depth, in, in terms of the depth of it, one of the things which is really important for me is to recognize that the world is shifting. As far as you get everything in control, there will still be shift. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know. There's many religions that look at this, and or, or philosophies, and it's whenever your sense of peacefulness and security is hinged on that, which is likely to change, then your your those senses are very vulnerable. Mm. So to really recognize that we that when we look outward. Whatever we look at, there's going to be there's it's in a state of flux so where does our real stableness come from yeah and if we can if we can feel into that stableness within ourself, which is deeper than mind, then we don't need as much materially, for example, we don't need positions and titles. To, to to try to create that sense of comfort or strength. And so for me the embodiment is that that inquiry internally. And and as we start to explore those different layers within us, the, the the unstable layer, the what about this and the what about that, you know, there's still stuff to explore, but then there's something underneath that. And there's something underneath that. So so call it meditation, if you will, or, or self-inquiry. But but those practices has helped me embody uh,
0: a state of being. And and what a... You know, you spoke about meditation there, and I think mm. majority of people listening would understand mm. what that is mm. from a very top level. Sure. But self-inquiry and... And looking internal. Is that something that is better done with someone? Like as you said, sometimes people are a little bit too close. Is that something that's better done with the help of somebody else, or, or is it something that you? Are there things that you can do by yourself?
1: I, I'd say both. Oh, I, I think it's very helpful to to have somebody externally to um to assist in that questioning sometimes. But if you're not spending a little bit of time with that person on almost a daily basis, there'll be a lot of uh a lot of things we don't pick up on. Mm. Self self inquiry is a very, very powerful technique to um to release a lot of ego, to release a lot of fear. And we can just ask, you know, well who who am I? Who is it that's really afraid? Mm. Is it really me? Is it really me that's fearful of this or is it really me that's um, uh, excited about that? Because the reality is, if you can tell me about your feeling, you're not the feeling. Mm. You're looking at it, right? And that's not to say that we disown those feelings. You know, we engage with them, we listen to them, they guide us but self inquiry is so important because it starts to strip away false identity and and only through that, well, not only through that there's other methods, but it's a powerful method to come to a state of liberated um a uh, liberated sense. What do I really need to achieve to be enough? nothing, but I have an opportunity. To work on things and contribute and share and help if that feels right, mm. it doesn't mean that I'm any more than what I would have otherwise been, but there's something in my system that is really lit up when I engage in these types of activities
0: mm. yeah. you when I was kind of doing a little bit of research on you i I loved some of the way that you were worded things and phrased things, and it's obviously coming out in our chat as well. But I want you to talk to me about how to minimise suffering and maximise peace without leaving the realities of the world. Mm -hmm. And it's the realities of the world that that I loved about Mm -hmm. this because I often feel that it is the day-to-day realities of life Mm -hmm. that a lot of people struggle with. However, our life is made up of our day-to-day. Mm-hmm. So how do, we, how do we kind of minimize this suffering and maximize peace mm-hmm. without leaving the realities of, of the world?
1: Well, it's only through, through the realities of the world that has led us to having this conversation and has probably led all of your listeners to listen into your podcasts. So it's the realities that have actually encouraged the inquiry. So why would we want to leave them? (laughs) It's actually our opportunity. Yeah, I considered many years ago to retreat. To go and buy a little bit of land, get the veggie patch going and that'll do the job. (laughs) And it still appeals from time to time. I shared this with some people recently. But I actually believe that what the world offers us is so much. And it, and it has the capability to teach us so much if we don't try to control it so much. <laughs> um, and and I, I'm yeah. going to jump in here because you used the word control.
0: And, and I think sometimes... I, I always like to put myself <laughs> away from this but we do try to control every outcome mm-hmm. and and often we can we feel that we're controlling something because we're used to it mm-hmm. and and not that i'm against nine to fives at all i'm i'm a, I'm against doing something from nine to five, five days a week that you don't enjoy, Mm -hmm. but you do it because you feel that you can control your days because you have this predictability. Mm -hmm. How are some ways that people can release their stranglehold on Mm -hmm. control? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Look, that's a pretty big journey. That one. Yeah. Um, I remember what was really helpful for me with this was I was working in the finance sector and I had a good job and I was good at my job. And I walked in one day and about two hours later I was out of there under a redundancy. It was a, it was a good lesson <clears throat> in terms of what really is within our, mm. our governance or within our control. And I remember my wife coming home that day and saying, what are you doing home? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't have a job anymore. And she said, but you were good at your job. (laughs) So being good at something doesn't necessarily guarantee anything. Um, There's plenty of people that are passionate about their business and they go out into business and three years later it's not working out. For me, it's all about participation. We participate with life. We do our best with it. But there's so, so many variables.
0: And so is it
1: even a logical concept to think that we're in control. Um, uh, illness, uh, you know, you hear of people that have done remarkable things in looking after themselves, and and they they get home from a, another day and they experience a stroke, or 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 um, well, they think they they're in a wonderful relationship, and they discover the other person has fallen out of love. Mm. Um, and and sometimes having a real sort of shock can help us regulate this this notion that you know I, I I've got control over everything. Look, there's some philosophies that suggest that that we do, <laughs> um. But I think if a person wants to feel a little bit more loose and light in their life, um, to recognise that there's lots of lots of variables. And the best thing we can do is to listen to our internal system, which is trying to direct us into what it is for us to put effort into and what it is to to potentially let go of.
0: And you spoke there about things that are out of our control and illness being Mm -hmm. one of them. Mm -hmm. You have a a voice disorder and I'm not going to pronounce it. You can pronounce it for me Mm -hmm. in a second. Mm -hmm. When you discovered this how did that make you feel
1: mm-hmm. um extremely isolated was the was the first emotional experience with it um this, this voice condition just to put um, a bit yep. of background into this is called spasmodic dysphonia and my voice was very capable up until about three years ago and i had a cold <coughs> and I spoke at a function, and the next day I could hardly talk, and it just never really came back. Like, this is really good. My voice today is, is yeah, it's wonderful compared to where it was. <coughs> um, So I spent about 12 to 18 months in different therapies to try to um, bring the strength back into this voice, the The greatest challenge with spasmodic dysphonia is projecting your voice. And so, if we're at a restaurant or a cafe, uh, I I can't talk. It's just and what happens is as you try to project your voice, no sound comes out. And so, it's not like you can just try to talk louder. It, it sort of shuts the the vocalization off. But I was actually diagnosed down at one of the hospitals in Sydney, and the. Um, and the process was read this book and then we'll have a chat to you and, so, and you read the book out loud and reading is probably one of the most difficult things for this um, and they said yep yeah, you've got spasmodic dysphonia and this type of spas- spasmodic dysphonia can't be cured and so your options are to is to have Botox injections in your throat or, <coughs> or just live with what it is and the thing the thing about botox injections is uh, it can be reasonably short lasting so every 3 months or so you need to have another shot which from my research um could be it was pretty challenging emotionally for the people that actually did that because their voice would get better through the help of the botox and then it would start to deteriorate again so it was a bit of a roller coaster. Mm. But when I was diagnosed, I was sitting down in the hospital and I was looking around at people ordering their teas and coffees and having a chat and asking people for directions. And I just knew uh, that 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 was beyond me at that stage. My voice was so constrained that I couldn't go and order a coffee if I wanted to, for for example. So so this sense of isolation, Mm. that I couldn't participate in the world the way I used to, or just at a very basic, Sort of functioning perspective.
0: And did that change the way that you, you your outlook? Mm.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> I think anyone who has it as, who has it a sense, whether it's sight or speech or hearing or whatever is um, uh, noticeably deteriorate, uh, it does change. Uh, uh, at one level, it can be very saddening or disappointing, but another level, it helps you realize what capacities you do have. Mm. And And this is important because it gets you to start to ask the question of, well, I don't know how long these capacities are going to be there for, so what do I do with them? You know, And that's one of the most important questions a person can ask themselves. And this is one of the things I see in people, is tremendous capability. And often it's underutilized.
0: And why do you think that is?
1: We're in habit. We're just in a habitual... Sort of run, and we don't ask the questions enough, which encourage that shift or encourage that change. And in many cases, the, the habit's a noble one, and someone's nobly trying to earn some money to pay off their mortgage to get their kids to school. It's not like there's a, it's not like, um, there's a poor conscience around people that um are kind of in the right, if you want it's honorable it's honorable to endeavor to provide for your children if you're a parent or you know to do a good job if you've been given the opportunity of employment but sometimes we don't ask the question of is this right action for me
0: yeah so and mm. you speak there about asking the question you know mm. is this really what i want to be doing what mm. what what what's the internal me mm. trying to communicate to me yes How can we better listen to our internal me and and act on it? Well, it's the second part, isn't it? You know, we hear it, we know
1: it's there, but are we willing to take action on it? How do we best do that? Uh, I don't know. I think the trick is is if you can endeavour to put compassion as your highest priority. Then things start to change. forget about success, forget about everything else. But if compassion is number one, then we'll start to act to change the things that really don't work for us. Mm. yeah and when we do that for ourselves, we also have a very that has a very positive role and effect for the people around us so it's this is leadership. Mm. You asked before about how do we get this shift? It's a cultural shift, and it's a cultural shift which which is built through uh compassion, which has been spoken about in Buddhism and Christianity and um hinduism and you know and the list goes on mm. you know it's a central <laughs> you know you ask any parent you know how do they want to deal with their children and typically there's great love from adult to child and it's like yeah well i need to be honest with them but we'll be honest without the compassion we ask a parent who's been honest without compassion how they feel yeah and so there's the feedback Mm. we already know how we want to live we want to be compassionate we want to be honest we want to listen to our inner knowing we we want to relate with people in a certain way and typically yeah, there will be some element of humanity
0: around that. And you're a father? Correct. How many how many kids and and how old? I have two kids and they're 10 and 8. 10 and 8, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you how do you teach an inward thinking mm. or 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 try to not shape your kids in a way that society wants them to be or even a way that you want them to be but mm-hmm. allow them to shape their own path mm-hmm. how how have you how have you helped an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old to do that
1: well i'm working on it mm-hmm. it's never a finished uh, it's a work in progress and um their, their their best guide is within them, okay? It's not society, it's not a philosophy, and it's not me. Their best guide is within. My job is to try to help them hear this and act on this. And I'll give you an example. My daughter um was upset a few weeks ago. And she was upset about something that, You know, it wasn't all that significant through most people's lenses, but suffering is suffering, and she was upset. And So I sat down with her, and I said, it's okay to feel upset. And you can feel upset for as long as you want with this. You know, that's whatever feels right for you. And then I said, can you tell me about the upset? You know, can you see it? And she said, yeah, yeah, I can see that I'm upset. I said, okay, so, you know, is it really big or is it little? And she said, oh, it's just sort of medium size. And I said, oh, yeah, okay. What else can you tell me about the upset? So she tells me a couple of other things. And then I said to her, so how can you tell me about the upset? You told me that you were upset, that you were it. But you're now telling me about this upset. So are you really upset? Or is there just upset in your body? And she said, oh, well, it's just in my body, I can see it. And then she started giggling. Because she didn't identify with the emotion. She knew the emotion was there to support her and help her and help her learn. But she didn't become consumed by it. Mm -hmm. And if I can help them to differentiate, to see the emotion, to see the thought, to see what they're attracted to, to see what they're not attracted to, um, it gives them a chance to to be able to be responsive as opposed to reactive to the environment. Mm. And being a kid, I think, is very challenging in this regard you know there's so many peer pressures and social kind of structures and and they spend time with kids that come from such a variety of background with all different ways of thinking and living and we also endeavor for for the kids not to be critical of the choices other people make but just to be conscious of the choices that they make mm. And this fear of missing out is something I talk to them about a lot. And to recognize that there's a time to opt in and there's a time to opt out. And um, and sometimes kids are afraid that they're missing out. You know, inclusion is, a, is something which is really encouraged a lot. But I was talking to my kids and I said, well... You know, if all of your mates were jumping off a cliff somewhere, would that be a sensible thing to be a part of, to be included in? You know, can you make your own decision whether you're in or out? (laughs) So there's lots of conversations. But the main thing for me is to not let those sorts of conversations dominate our relationship. Mm. The thing that I love to dominate our relationship is play. Mm. Just have some fun. I think we're all kids at heart you can take so much just way too seriously
0: no it's my my late grandfather used to always say that you only grow old when you stop playing and it's something that I I strongly agree with in and we speak there about parents and and trying to to educate our kids in, in the best way possible and often, as parents, we can feel that we're we're pulled in all different directions, whether that be on the family front and on the work front and or whether you know you spoke about the fear of missing out you know pulled in ways that we feel society is pulling us in ways that we need to kind of be in. and we're, we're left with this rising kind of epidemic of of burnout. How can people turn that around and and slow down a little, while still being productive.
1: Mm. Well, it can be a very practical thing. We can just walk slower. Mm. You know, if I if I if I'm if I notice that I'm trying to really charge through the day, and just slow myself down physically, I'll produce just the same. It just won't be from a from a basis of um ad, uh, from an agitated base. So there's really practical things that we can do, but it just seems like there's such a rush. I'm not sure what we're trying to rush to get, mm-hmm. okay? Um, but literally, some of the people I've worked with, I said, just just walk a bit slower. That, that would be good. That would be a start. Uh, and I also think that what we do with the start of the day is so, so important. You know, a lot of people are straight into work, thinking they're straight into technology, and a five-minute walk along the beach if you're near the beach, or a, a, you know, a nice cooked breakfast, you know, in the morning, as opposed to you know, smashing something down as quickly as possible because we're running late for the bus. So the start of the day for me is very, very important, and we're not talking philosophically; we're talking very practically. You know, wake up, take your time to get out of bed, have a nice shower, cook yourself a nice uh, breakfast. And it comes back to this concept of compassion again. And if we in- inquire into sustained productivity, we know that a, that a rapidly functioning brain reduces the sustainability. We might get short-term output. But we will see burnout, to use the word you're referring to. And many people are at risk of burnout.
0: And it's not necessary. And compassion came up again. Mm -hmm. And you started the charity, Collective Hearts. Can you tell me what the charity does and and why you started it?
1: Mm. Um... I started it because I've been very fortunate, and I've met some really big-hearted people. And these big-hearted people were running around doing all kinds of wonderful things, but not necessarily in a in a coordinated way. And then I also met some big-hearted people which weren't sure how to use that heart of theirs. They weren't feeling necessarily drawn to uh to like a religious organization where you you often get a lot of um you know service type uh work happening so collective hearts was just uh, I guess I just invited about fifty people along to a breakfast and said i'm recently back from visiting i went uh, recently back from visiting India at that point in time spent some time at an orphanage and they could do with some support and it made me feel something really wonderful by being able to offer some support. There'd been similar experiences over the years, um, so it would always be tapping away at me, Mm -hmm. but I never quite found the avenue for me to engage. Um, So Collective Hearts was as much for me as it was for the people that I've invited into it. And essentially, all it is is it's a it's a multi faith, no faith, don't mind what your faith is, kind of bunch of people that are interested in in contributing to people that kind of need a bit of help, and often it's a little bit financially, it's a little bit in terms of um, volunteered time with no offer of return for the participants (laughs) so people aren't saying up because i'm going to get these connections or i'm going to get this or i'm going to get that but what we do offer is i'll give you the opportunity to do some stuff that you probably
0: wouldn't have otherwise um gained access to Mm. Mm. and if people wanted to get involved with that what's the best way for them to do that probably
1: google search collective heart Mm -hmm. yeah collective heart and there's an organisation in the US, but look for look for the website or the Facebook page which relates to Newcastle. And um, I'd love people to get in touch if it's of interest. You know, we do a lot locally. We we support some of the refugee families that come in locally. We we provide assistance to the um, surfing with disability guys down um uh, in this region. We help out with um, uh, fundraising for the homeless community and we also uh, have a certain activity offshore as well, um, providing funds for, for people in poverty situations, getting their kids to school and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And it's important. I, think, I do think that when a person starts to get their life lined up, we start to wonder, well, what's going to be the motivator next? You know, like if I'm feeling good about myself and finances are in order and I have a sense of community or adequately, you know, what's next? You know, do I just rest? And, and from what I've seen is that's where the opportunities really start to open up and, and, and it's all,
0: all about contribution and humanity. And it, yeah, I, I think deep down we all want to give back in a way because you, know, you spoke about compassion as it's, it's, it seems to be a thread through the entire conversation and when you were sp- speaking about collective hearts it's about doing work and not getting anything back for it mm. but we all know that when we do that kind of work mm. we get so much more
1: back well you get back what can't be predicted mm. okay so this is the control aspect again you just give to give and what you receive is so significant and so life-changing that the the reward drives the action the trick is is to not be consumed once again by i have to make more money to pay the bills and and then we go back to our you know the older motivators and so it's a bit of a balancing mm. act in in terms of focus
0: but it's it, you
1: know, uh, it's just remarkably rewarding.
0: Well, Matt, I have one final question for you, and it's one that I do ask all of my guests on the podcast, and that's if you could please describe your perfect day. My perfect day? <laughs> hmm. All right. So I'd like
1: to say every day is my perfect day, but the reality is, is some of them are pretty wobbly perfect day i love waking up around the time that or maybe just before sun and starting my day with some yoga and uh yoga and and, uh, meditation i also like to go for a walk after that particularly the beach and maybe a quick surf or a swim or something like this and then i like having a cooked breakfast with my wife and having time to it's to hang out with the kids before we head off for work and school and, and whatnot. I like going to work. I'm not even sure I call what I do work and just being available to support people who ask. Um, and then I like to come home in the afternoon and drive my kids around or whatever they need to be driven around to. It's a, It's a special thing to be able to offer that to them. And then have a um have a nice meal with the family at the end of the day and um and be with them when they go to bed. And then read a few pages out of my book and go to bed at the same time as my wife. And sleep well. That's pretty much perfect day for me.
0: Sounds pretty good. Really does. And and Matt, you know Thank you for your time today. Thanks for popping around and, and having a chat. If people do want to reach out to you, learn mm. more about you, um, maybe even have a few questions, mm. what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Okay, so I have a website, which is uh, um which is my surname with an S on the end, L-I-N-E-R-T-S.com.au. I welcome any questions and I have made a commitment to assist anybody that genuinely calls out for assistance. So if someone sends me an email or inquiry, I'll do my best to support them in whichever way I can. Um,
0: That's probably the easiest way to get Mm -hmm. in touch. Yeah. Or via collective heart. Yeah. Well, I will make sure that both the Linnet's and the Collective Hearts websites are in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. Is there anything that we've missed or anything that you'd like to add before we, we finish up here?
1: Um, the only thing I'd like to add is, is be kind to yourself and listen. Listen to what your body's trying to tell you because your body has so much wisdom. And in fact... Arguably, it's far wiser than your mind. So your system will give you feedback. And and just do your best to listen. And if you find it hard to listen um, and act on that, and see, seek out a little bit of support. Um, you know, it's good. You, 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 everyone who loves you wants you to be well. So,
0: you know, so love yourself. Happy days. Mm. Well, Matt, thank you once again. And for everybody listening, thank you. And until next time, have fun and live immediately.